right. Hello and welcome back to uh, the Digital Twin Podcast with uh, your, your hosts, Omar and Hari. Uh, today we have a spotlight episode uh, with a special guest from Singapore. Uh, please welcome uh, Professor Satara Bawani. He's the CEO of the Center of Executive Education and Disruptive Leadership Institute. He's also the author of two books, the first one, uh, Transforming the Next Generation Leaders, Developing uh, Future Leaders for a Disruptive Digital-Driven Era uh, of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and the second book, most recently, Disruptive Leadership. Uh, welcome uh, to the podcast, uh, Mr. Bawani. Yeah, thank you, Hari and Omar, for having me here. It's my pleasure. And very early morning. Well, we're very excited because it's uh, you know a, a yeah. very uh, near and dear topic to both of us, and uh, and you are an expert at this. So, uh, to begin, maybe you can uh, maybe tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself and and your journey to to how you got to where you are. Sure. To us, that's very intriguing. Yeah, sure, sure. I started you know in the healthcare industry uh, you know back in 1979, 1980. So it was quite long time ago uh, as a sales rep, sales representative, you know, doing uh, medical healthcare devices, pharmaceutical, then uh, decided to, you know, after 15 years, decided to go into professional services, training, consulting um, uh, with uh, Hay Group, uh, one of the largest uh, uh, management consulting, human resource consulting, now is part of Conferry, yeah, one of the global uh, leadership development firm. And then I move on to an organization which does on executive coaching, uh, Forum Corporation Boston. So I was there for a while, uh, then was doing more on leadership development for high potential leadership, uh, looking at uh, leadership transition, helping leaders, coaching them to be uh, future leaders. So these are young emerging leaders. Uh, so that was my, my initial foray into the leadership development for helping uh, leaders to prepare for the future. And then, of course, then I was with Mercer, then DBM, and you know, many other uh, global consulting firms until, you know, all along in professional services, leadership development, focusing on future leadership. Uh, so that's my area of interest. Um, and since then, besides doing, you know, uh, executive coaching, which is one-on-one, highly personalized, uh, contextualized, uh, leadership development intervention. I also does a leadership workshop masterclass helping uh, C-suite leaders to work together in tech team to help them to navigate tomorrow's challenges and how to be able to prepare the leadership team to manage uh, disruption um, uh, you know, in, in the future and especially in the world of the, uh, in the fourth industrial revolution that we are, we are, we are in today. So that's how I started. So it was I was I was not um, consultant all my life, but the first fifteen years was a business leader. But I'm still running business. I'm a practitioner. I'm a professor with various university, um, you know, uh, in disruptive leadership with the IPE, a management school in Paris and uh, London. I'm also the Asia e- University in Kuala Lumpur, the professor for uh, management in organizational behavior. And I was on the board uh, uh, of the Curtin University in Australia, where I, where I did my undergraduate uh, you know, um, 
and also adjunct professor there. So over the years, I've been an adjunct professor for more than 20, 25 years. And that is more a passion to teach adult, adult learners. Not students, but my, most of my students are adult learners, CEOs, senior business leaders who wants to undertake to go through um, you know, um, uh, leadership uh, or executive development themselves. And that's how I, 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 I learn from them. So that's how my journey is, you know, from from a business, the moving to consulting and now teaching, but all together. So in, in a way, it's a unique combination from academic, academia, business, and consulting. So all three into one. It's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> so it seems so, so so that that it seems like you, you, yeah, you yeah. So it's yeah. it seems like you have a lot of stories mm. and a lot of perspectives. From a lot of uh, yeah. previous students, C-suite, so you have a good idea what challenges they're facing, and and how to help address with different yeah. aspects. It seems, and it would you say that most of the the uh, the effort has been around organizations that are larger startups. How would you describe the 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 overall? you know, blend of that, because I think in the world of disruption, we, we see to, to have a startup, you know, mentality coming in and really trying to disrupt the big dogs and the, and the big organizations in our, in our industry. And I think what I'm kind of getting from your, your books that how do, you know, the disruptive times, right? The disruptors out there, how do you handle, how yeah. do you, you become agile? How do you really play in this yeah. space? Right. Oh, for- First of all, Omar, uh, the my work uh, encompass from startup to small medium business, or in Singapore we call it small medium enterprise (SME), uh, and to large MNC global like uh, Pfizer, the Citigroup, um, uh, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, or Boeing, generally. Like, so, so it's diverse, very diverse. Uh, the challenges are the similar, not the same, but similar. And one of the biggest challenges, I would say, is to help leaders to prepare their successor or future leaders. It's part of, and I learned something from Jack, the late Jack Welch, from you know the the, the legendary CEO from um, uh, General Electric. Something which I met him back in two thousand in New York. Um, and something I learned very profound, he says that the role of a leader, and it was in a, in a, in a convention, um, he said that the role of a leader is to develop other leaders. And, you know, G is known for the G. Crockenville uh, Leadership Center. And what I learned from him, very profound, that you are not successful until you're able to ensure the success of your successor or to ensure that you prepare your future leaders. This is one thing that I found, whether you're MNC, SME, startup, we tend to forget. We tend to focus on ourselves as leader, and we forget that what is important is how do we prepare our successor, and how do we help them to be successful in the future. So these are the high potentials, you know, um, uh, emerging leaders and so forth. So the what you asked me, what the challenges, the biggest challenges, the one, as I said, to find, uh, prepare for future leaders. The second, my research in, in the Leadership Destructive Time, the book that was published in July last year during the pandemic, when I was, the research before the book was published has been around for five years. And before that, in 2019, in July, 
the 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 uh, the first book that was focusing on Industry 4.0 was the Transforming the Next Generation of Leaders in Industry 4.0. So that research looked at what are the challenges exactly as I'm saying when we are facing with the confluence of of the advanced technology when we are looking at not only the internet the the the, the big data the the blockchain technology and and how do we artificial intelligence uh, machine learning and, and so forth uh, at the forefront, uh, you know, in your organization, your doctor, how do you learn, how do you integrate, what do you need to do? And that the challenges are similar because all of them do not have the right mindset or I call it the disruptive mental agility, you know. It can be an MNC, it can be SME, it can be a startup. All of them face the same problem. How do we disrupt the way we think and this is where the pandemic, I, 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 I see a lot of blessing. I mean, this is something I was going around all my, for the last past year, I would say since February, I've been doing, exactly a year, I've been doing more than 100 over webinars, talks, interviews. And I say this very clearly, the pandemic actually, in my view, uh, well, many people may have a different opinion, but I think it's a blessing in the sense that it helps us to be grounded that, to understand that a lot of things that we do not know what we do not know and yeah. a lot of things that has happened making us better prepared for the next uh, pandemic, the next disruptive challenge. And it's going to be more. And I can tell you, based on my research, it's going to be more, uh, much more. And if you heard Bill Gates' interview, even 2015, this pandemic should not be a surprise. But we hear again and again, leaders, both political and business leaders, keep on using the word, unprecedented saying that this is they're not prepared and they blame yeah. on you know this is a black swan event is it really a black swan event and i always debate that with a lot of my uh, you know uh, client with my interviewer with the various other subject matter expert I, I i guess you're familiar with the black swan nasim talib yeah the black swan event so is it the two pro mm -hmm. is it really, I, I think there are signs because the world was preparing for the H1N1 in the US, you know what, is, what went through H1N1. We all know about Ebola. So there are a lot of signs that this could, and you right. know, the uh, biological warfare, and this is going to happen between the different, the bigger forces between China and the US, you know, and in, or India or Israel, or in many other countries, and this is bound to happen. And that's why I'm saying we can be prepared, you must be prepared to face more such pandemics. So, so that's a very interesting point, Hari, because I think we mentioned that about, you know, you, you talk about disruptive leadership, you know, in traditional organizations and business strategy and planning, we look at at a horizon of two to three to five years. But when we talk about disruptive leadership, we have to be a little bit more agile. It looks like it's more short term focused that, you know, when we talk about the leadership skills of bringing um, your organization yeah. on a vision and mission, how quickly that changes and how you, you build that cohesiveness with, with an organization can be a very good challenge. I mean, in this day and age, it seems, right? I mean, you just, you laid out the pandemic is, is a perfect example of how quickly everyone just loses their, no, their Omar, exactly sometimes. what you just said, that what is lack, it's not about short term or long term. The, the, the key consideration here are people ready do we have what it takes to manage those challenges? It can appear, it can appear any time of the uh, a day. It can be 
you know, uh, whether uh, uh, one month horizon or six months, one year, in three years or five years or ten years, the question is the disruptive mental agility or the set of what I call the uh, disruptive leadership competency. Another Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, so do leaders have those yeah, six right, competencies? Yeah. And the underpinning, as you mentioned, Omar, correctly, is the agility. Mental agility, resource agility, whether they have the social capital, you know, agility to maneuver. And the most important number one is developing the cognitive readiness, the mental agility, the innovation, uh, the ability to, to disrupt the status quo, the ability to think through the problem before you you devise a solution. So my question is this, uh, are leaders really ready? Are we providing leaders with the right set of skills, the, the, the development opportunities to prepare them for such pandemic? So it's not better, you know, you, you're right. It could be a short term, it can be something that's happening now. And it's about critical thinking, not, not, not creative thinking, not strategic thinking, because those we know what to do. We need to think out of the box, you know, try to brainstorm. And, and we talk about strategic thinking along. No, it's about critical thinking. Can we look at the information? Can we uh, discern, you know, have a disability to separate between facts and uh, fiction or uh, today world of fake news is so important? How do we evaluate information? How do we assess this information to help us? to develop alternative hypothesis solution to solve the problem. Because if you're not able to do that first, we cannot solve the problem. So right now, what is happening, people try to jump and solve the problem. So when we hear the, pro the word during the pandemic, the one, if you can Google it, you see the one most common word that we use, unprecedented. So the question is... They overused. They yeah. overused that word. I have to be honest with you. They that, that word. And, and I blame like the politician also. The politician used that word because to escape scrutiny. Oh, sorry, you know, no, we cannot do anything much. You know, what can we do? Okay, we will come up with some financial, fiscal measures. We come up with all this thing. We tried. You know, we tried. This never be done before. Rubbish, bullshit. I mean, what is important? Have we? And if you listen to Bill Gates' TED Talk, I think you know what I'm talking about. And he's talking about this. And, and I fully agree yeah. with Bill mm -hmm. Gates. Yeah. I think this is something what I blame uh, organizations, uh, both public, government, private, non-profit, any organization. Do we develop our leaders to face... I'm not talking about a pandemic. It can be anything. Industry 4.0 is a classical example. When you look at the confluence of the uh, technologies, the advanced technology, internet has been around for a long time. But if you look at the internet of today, if you talk about the web-based uh, technologies, and you know, since in, in, in the, in, I would say 95, during the, you know, the browser, it all started... You know the browser wars with the mess Netscape, my Microsoft. And, you know, I, I was in the Bay Area. Yeah. And back then, I was fortunate. I was you know, with Golden Gate University. I did my master's, but I was very fortunate. I was in the right in the, in the middle of all this. I was in San Jose, and but but I, I experienced it when I come to Singapore. People say, "Oh, okay," you know. In the region, people think, "Oh no, well, we still a long way to go." You know, this is not something. I said, "No," I said, "This is." And when the dog come bus happened. That was when I started to ask myself, what is going on in 2000? 
2000, I don't know, you're, you're still, both of you are very young. I don't know if you remember the dot-com buzz. You know, uh, for me... <laughs> Yeah, I was here. I was. For me, it started back in the 80s during the during the oil crisis, and then the most profound disruption for me was in 1997-98 when the Asian financial crisis in Bangkok started from Bangkok, Thailand to Malaysia, Singapore, and the region. And it was Asian specifically. It was in the financial sector. It was the first time I was with an organization called Havro, and I was looking at leaders. They're struggling. Many of them struggling. They don't know how to make, and that leads to a lot of. But but the, but that disruption was focusing on the financial services, specifically in Asia. Of course, then you look at dot com dot com to two thousand. What happened in two thousand was the dot com. There's you know uh, over inflated. Look at the overpriced startup, the hype, you know gone. And then that's where then we have in Asia we have the, another crisis disruption, the SARS. The predecessor to the uh, the COVID nineteen, and I was in you know, okay. in China. Yeah, yeah. The before he China one, it was SARS was two o three, two o four, and he was focusing mostly in China, Singapore, Taiwan, uh, Taipei. I mean Taiwan, and uh, you know this uh, Hong Kong. Huh? And of course now we have, of course then we have the GFC, two eight two o nine. I'll tell you a lot of stories later if you examples where this disruption is really the GFC, the global financial crisis. Uh, and uh, fantastic, a lot of stories. I will tell you, leaders are struggling. CEO, biggest organization that I've worked with, coming to me and saying, "We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it." Never. So, so, so yeah, let me ask so a that's question. That's a very interesting that, piece, sir. Yeah, go ahead, Harry. No, my, my question yeah. is is probably around what you yeah. just said about the large organizations. And I, you know, yeah. you said you consulted with the, the CEO yeah. of you know large organizations across many industries, right? And what we see today, even when you look at any yeah. tech companies, you know, San Francisco or look at any industry for that matter, the ones that are disrupting the industries yeah. are the smaller ones. And obviously they seemingly mm. have a certain breed of leaders. And and you know, I and I have worked for the, mm. the smallest company I work, personally work for is two billion, you know, and so I, I know how large your companies work. So um, do you see special set of challenges that leaders face in large organizations that have embedded culture? And do they need something special? I mean, is there is, is, are those leaders something you, you, know, you can build on or, or, or yeah. train and coach uh, because you're in that business, right? Uh, or is it something where you... You, know, you have you, to come from that from culture, the the, right? Like, yeah. Like, the board says, hey, we need Listen, a new guys, leader, or you know, can we train we one? Got a you clean know? House. Yeah, we got a clean house, or we we yeah. have to bring in a disruptive leader, right? I mean, this is the this is the answer. Everyone's, you know, trying to figure out: is it possible to be a disruptive leader? Can you train? And I see both sides of the equation, and I see companies doing both. Yeah, excellent like question, guys. I think one of the things that in back, I can't remember. Uh, there was an interview by one of the leading magazine, uh, the Tetler. Um, the question that was asked is similar, but that was back in 2005, 2006, was this, um, what would be the, uh, or, or, or rather my perspective about the startup, what can we learn from startup? So between startup and, you know, the, the MNCs, the global enterprise. So my, 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 my point of view at that time was say, look, the CEOs of large organizations, large enterprise, who learn a few things from startup uh, founders, startup leaders. Number one, 
is about agility. Of course, we always say, oh, when you're small, it's easier, you can move, you can more, more agile, nimble, you can maneuver. It's true. Uh, but what is important is about the disruptive mindset. If you look at the innovation-driven organizations, you know, whether it's, uh, we're talking about Uber, Google, um, if you look at all the late Netflix, all the latest, you know, some of the latest startup, what is common is the, the yeah. founder, the passion, the 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 creativity, the the the, the culture mm-hmm. of uh, innovation-driven excellence. Uh, the exactly uh, and and Top, the ability yeah. to accept they don't they don't have, they don't have all the answers. And this is where I, 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 you know, I would say some of the startup that I work with, the CEOs acknowledge that they may not be a good administrator, they may not be a good CEO. And you see many examples, whether Netscape, whether whether even Steve Jobs himself in the earlier part before he was fired. I'm talking about the, uh, the first, first when when he found uh, you know uh, John Scully mm-hmm. to be the CEO when he knows he's not the right person. So. The, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's his name? Uh, this guy who then become Alphabet, the chairman, uh, was uh, in a Google, uh, the first CEO. Uh, le- uh, oh gosh, it's, it's, yeah, just keep in mind. Anyway, so was it Smith? No, yeah, so, so that, Eric Smith. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that's a good so example. And you, as a you know, for the lesson that you can learn from startup is that we may not necessarily be the right person. We must acknowledge it's about humility. Mm-hmm. It's about developing high level self-awareness that we may not be the right person for that role for that time. But in many organizations, even large organizations, they oh, okay, you know, you are the anointed success. I know everything, you know, I'm, you know, lack of humility. So in, 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 in what we can learn, and board, you're right, you look at many organizations, the board will decide, yes, who are the person. And usually they look at uh, inside uh, talent, which is right. I always believe, I always believe uh, to build and buy. In other words, how can we develop the talent within the organization? And this is to demonstrate to the people within the organization that we believe in you, we provide the opportunity, we provide the right culture to thrive to excel but there will be time when we do not have the right set of uh, uh, leaders with the right set of competence or the right leaders with the right set of competency therefore we need to look from outside so the question that you ask about disruptive leadership and this is what is lacking today yeah but the good news the good news is that we can develop them and i've done it in Malaysia, Singapore, India, China. I've done it many times and it can be done. The question is, are you prepared to invest? Are you prepared to challenge the school? Are you prepared to be able to disrupt your thinking? Now, the Exactly. You, you also have to admit first, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think then, this is a very, this is, this is a very, very, I mean, it's very obvious, I think, right? With with multinational organizations, they're in, they're ingrained in their culture. They got their values, and then disruption comes, and you already have all your succession plan already ready for everyone that's going to come up. But the disruption yeah, changes yeah. all that planning, and this is exactly what you said. How do you you have to look outside? And when you look outside, the outside, you know, champion coming in has got to turn this behemoth organizational engine and culture into the the culture that he wants you know, overnight it's interesting omar as you as you are sharing that you know 
the, the situation scenario I'm reflecting and uh, it just dawned on me that something, you know, uh, exactly similar, you know, same situation in Bangkok, one of the largest institution, you know, and you have a, uh, they brought in, it's an education institution, they brought in an American. Uh, interestingly, is a U.S. Marine, a very senior officer for the U.S. Marine. And, you know, style of leadership in coming. This guy read my book, called me up, said, Prof, you know, can you, you know, well, I've read about the VUCA, you know, I, in, the, in, in the U.S. military college, we, we, we went through that. And I look at your situation, your example you give, you know, and, and I'm still struggling. Why? I said, why? You, you, you are a senior <laughs> um, and this, uh, I'm talking about special forces. Eh? This is this very special force and a special forces uh, senior officer. And he was telling me uh, that the culture is one thing. Yes, there's a different culture, but I'm talking about the organizational yeah. uh, culture, not the national culture. Organizational culture, when you come in and you try to disrupt the way of thinking, yeah. There's a lot of resentment, uh, not, only re- resent, not only resistance, eh? but I'm talking about resentment. Oh, you have a foreigner, you have this someone from outside. But yeah. situation is this, you know, we need this. We need to jolt, we need to create this uh, uh, disruptive environment where people start to be awakened. You know, oh, wow, okay, now we need to think differently. And, and, and I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes, Wake up, wake them yeah. up first. And I blame the board. Because they're on you know, When I say drive, I blame right? the board, because sometimes the board set the tone. While the CEO and the C-suite leaders run, the senior executives run the organization, the board has to create, give the guidance, guiding philosophy, you have to encourage, have to set the tone. That's why I think the role of board today is very different than what it used to be. So today, from a governance into more uh, a, a, a partnership model and trying to help and support the uh, CEO and the C-suite to drive the organization in a very disruptive world, together they have to... And, and the board members themselves need to understand the world that we are in here, the disruptive world is very different. They themselves need to be uh, to be trained to develop their mindset because when you look and you present paper, when the CEO present a proposal, the strategy at the board level, they must be the board member must be able to challenge, understand, provide that guiding philosophy. And you cannot perform that role unless you understand and you need to get the cognitive readiness, your mental agility in place. That is what is missing today globally, globally, whether public, private, NGOs, NPOs, this is solely missing. And also in religious organizations, we're talking about the church, the mosque, the uh, synagogue, any major religious organization leading with large follower. How do you disrupt? How do you bring about a change? And without losing the mission or vision of the organization, but how do you create a follower? How do you change your followership? And that is what is happening today. And so as, as well as I said, the pandemic is a blessing. And you can see, you know, you know that you did mention that we we talk about the board and and you know, and if we if we look at the board and, and organizations and the financial sectors that we look at, they don't like disruption. You know this. People don't like to to take chance and risk mm-hmm. with with money, right? And this is who's guiding a lot of these organizations, right? So in in a sense, you know. They're trying to hold on to a little bit of a, 
something that they know and for sure, but the disruptive technology that we're living today is is surpassing a lot of the control that, that used to be there, it seems. It seems like... There's two yeah. elements to that, though, right? One is the financial, yeah. which is you have to deliver quarter Absolutely. over quarter. But the other element is, hey, I'm comfortable change in status quo might affect my company's current income yes. streams, right? And so taking a risk means t- t- risking yeah. everything I have, including my own job, right? And, no, it, you know, and I, actually, and I you're, you're running into this. Omar, you brought a very good example of the financial services. And let me, let me tell you, organizations like CT, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, investment banking, you're talking about retail banking globally, Senate Chartered, uh, human, uh, HSBC, uh, all these organizations are today reevaluating how the blockchain technology is going to transform. Now, the reality yes, is this, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Of course, the, see the, 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 what is very sad when I talk about blockchain, the first thing that everybody would think about is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is only one application uh, of cryptocurrency. There are 5,000 or more in recent research of cryptocurrency, but it happened that Ethereum, Bitcoin, you know, because the today news, look at what, where Bitcoin is. But the application of blockchain technology is huge. And in the financial services, it got a profound impact. And we have seen, we have seen how the, uh, the, the yeah. blockchain has transformed the logistics. Uh, we have seen uh, in healthcare, and, and I think you're going to transform all industry, yeah. but in the financial services, what we need to look at how, and we have seen the fintech, you know, there are many, or insurance called Insutech, in there. and there are many startups, uh, uh, but they are taking a long, long, they are taking a long time because there's a lot of, um, I would say the ecosystem, the support structure is not there from, yeah. from the government, from the various stakeholders, but the financial services is going to be disrupted further. A good example in Singapore, in my book, in Chapter 5, I talk about um, a DBS Bank. DBS Bank is the world leading, for four years in a row, the best digital bank. And Piyush Gupta, the CEO, was from City uh, back in, uh, you know, before 2009, when he took over after the GFC, gotcha. Global Financial Crisis. He came in, he, he totally disrupted. And his mission is simple. While we stick to... What we do best, DBS being a local Singapore bank, original bank, but we want to transform and disrupt the financial services before we have been disrupted by the platform, uh, you know, organized like, like Alibaba and, and you know and many other Chinese, uh, you know, uh, uh, players. Right. So, so he, so he, this is an example of disruptive mindset. A leader, Piyush Gupta from DBS Bank in Singapore, he decided he went to the board, he went to the board and says, look. We anticipate, and this was back in 2009, 2010, after the GFC. And he's, he's anticipated that, look, we're going to face this down the road. We're going to have people at Alibaba coming in and trying to disrupt and take a, you know, go into our uh, uh, you know, uh, space. So what do we need to do? We have to go and decide to be ahead of the curve. And that's what they did, and they transformed. Now... What I believe the financial services industry has yet to see the full disruption. The, the central bank, the C, uh, you call it the C, uh, central bank, uh, CBDC, the central bank, dig- oh, CBDC, central bank digital currency, CBDC, where you look at the World Bank, you look at the Chinese government is pushing very hard, where you have the 
support of a digital currency. And, 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 and as I said, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about the cryptocurrency and the application of the blockchain technology into... Yes, and, an and because, because of the trust, yeah. the, the, the secure, the trust, yeah. the manner. I like that. Trust is trust yeah. is the most valuable but, but, thing. But these right days. now, is yet to be accepted, and because why? A lot of the the financial sector, the, fun, the a lot of these key players are trying to uh, not. Uh, a good example: you look at Facebook Libra. You know, a lot of reason. If you look at Facebook, forget about Facebook. Mm-hmm. Look at the concept, mm-hmm. what Facebook trying to do. And the, the most important part of yeah. that philosophy of, you know, of that digital currency is cutting down the transaction cost. And what we are seeing is that the big, large bank institutions are making too much money. And this is something which I think needs to be disrupted. And it will happen. It will happen. It will be... And that's, that's an income stream that's we already have. They they don't yeah, exactly, you're right. That's the them. main source of income. Yeah. And you look at retail banking. And DPS has disrupted yeah. that. In India, DPS Bank is offering before the uh, acquisition of the local bank, but uh, there's a distress. But for the last three, four years, uh, DPS Bank went to India, Indonesia, on a digital platform. That is successful. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Hari... And you know what, what I what I'm hearing or what what I'm I'm kind of getting a theme is like, you can be a disruptive leader, right? But don't lose sight of the vision and the mission of yeah. the why are we here? I don't think the why changes. The but, how is what's disrupting. How we do it today is what's what's absolutely. changing, not the why. So if you're very clear on the why yeah. and the mission and the vision, the how is where you need to be good at. In the disruptive agility is what you're mentioning, right? I mean, this is kind absolutely. Of what I'm, what no, I'm I think Omar, you you really hit the nail, you know, uh, hit you, you. What you say is exactly true. Uh, we need to be focused on why we exist. Your 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 your, your uh, mission, your vision. Of course, uh, you need to reassess. You need to reinvent from time to time. Uh, looking at that, is it still relevant? Your your guiding philosophy, your values may change, may change, but then, as you correctly mentioned, and I always ask this question when I talk to client consulting, and you know when I giving advice coaching, where are we today? Looking at your own business, where are you today? And this is the pandemic is a good starting point. I ask them, where are we today? Where do you want to go? Question is, how do you get there? Where are we today? We need to reflect over the last 10, 20 years. And you look at the pandemic, last one year is good lesson. We are all miserable. We are not prepared. And what lesson can we learn from the pandemic? A lot of lessons. Where are we today? Because of what we have not been prepared in the past. Where do you want to go? That's where, Omar, you are right. So let's bring your, your, your reason for existence, your, 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 your vision. Is it still relevant? If not, what do you need to do to reassess and then decide? And then how do you get there is the most important part. Because if you define it, the first part is easier. Where we are, we do your SWOT analysis, we do your analysis. Uh, where do you want to go? Yeah, do your, you know, your goal setting, your, your, do your balance, your, all your you know, objective setting, easier. But now, how do you get there? As a CEO, I always tell my team, and the same thing I advise CEOs, it's easy to come up with a, a strategic goal, business strategy. 
you're talking about potters, you know. It's easy. I mean, honestly, I've been teaching this for so long. It's easy. I'm telling you from personal experience as a practitioner, as a CEO, uh, several organizations over the over over the last 25 years, and currently also running organizations and also advising other CEOs. The biggest challenge is execution. How do you get people rally behind you to execute? That is where I talk about disruptive leadership because many of them are not able to demonstrate what it takes to be successful in the future. What get you here will not get you there as Marshall Goldsmith, uh, you know, the legendary executive coach who endorsed both my books. And he says very clearly that when, what the skills, the, the competency they bring you to success today were not necessary, will bring you to be successful in the future. Unless you are humble enough to acknowledge, yes, I do not have all the answers. And this is where I advocate a concept called reverse mentoring. Reverse mentoring means I learn from people who are age of 25. I'm going tell you, I got three mentors, two are... And, you know, for over the years, they are called master mentor who helped me, you know, they are in the 80s. One of them is 85, one is the 82 uh, in the US who helped me. Also, oh, one is in the UK now, who moved to UK. One is in, one is in Texas, the other one is in, 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 in uh, Ken in UK, helping me to reassess myself. Even I need that, you know, support system. Then I have a 26-year-old, and, and I have a, you know, then wait, Omar, I have a 26-year-old mentor, 26-year-old mentor who is guiding me even at my level, to help me to understand the latest technology, what is general machine learning? You, you know, I know you know AI. I know you know what is machine learning. What about general machine learning? You know, talk about general artificial intelligence, where we're talking about how do we move to the stage where you talk about robotic applications. People always talk about the lack of, you know, you know the thinking, the way, the creativity, the empathy, and all that. But now there's a lot of research into that into uh, general machine learning. And then the COBOL, collaborative robotic in, in manufacturing. Huge application. You look at the Japanese company, mm -hmm. German. They are now looking at how yeah. we can have, in my book, I mentioned about the together, the, the, the collaborative robot. And the industry 5.0, which now is in the, uh, in the, in the healthcare industry, uh, the nanotechnology. How do we apply nanotechnology to bring in and ability to deliver services, solution, healthcare, uh, treatment on a individualized basis, what we call mass customization, one-on-one. -on -one. For example, if you are a diabetic patient, how can you now have a treatment, an insulin or any other uh, medication that can be individualized to that person based on using data analytics, looking at the person's you know, um, uh, history over a certain period and provide that. And that is the future. And this is already being done in research in the pharmaceutical healthcare. But you have not seen that. This is Industry 5.0, where you talk about customer centricity to the extreme. But, but the concept is not new. Omar, hurry, it's not new. Actually, Michael Dell did that in 1980s when he came out with the PC mod. And we're talking about the mass customization. But of course, at that time, technology, yeah, yeah, but the technology yeah, was not there. That. What he did is 
okay, he used the internet to the supply chain was disrupted and he provided that ability for you to choose what you want. But today is very different. Today, the technology is there. And I see the way forward we, we're going to get after the pandemic and the post-pandemic, the era of the post-pandemic, what we can see in chapter 10 of my book, you guys, you read, the, 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 the way forward is that we're going to see intense uh, disruption from a digital transformation, the new way of working, the changing world of work, the gig workers is going to disrupt the way uh, work is going to be delivered. The future of work is so different in the next five to ten years, and a lot of company is not ready. Now, this is I'm very worried because we are going to be really be left behind. So, leaders, organization, government, institution in Singapore, the government is very proactive in trying to provide support, infrastructure, guiding, you know, all sorts of support to get people ready for the change of you know changing world of work. This is coming. You know, I think Hari, you know, we, we Hari and I, we, we, we did something on this. And I think I read this a little bit yeah. in, in, in the book as well about the the fear, right? The technology and the change is happening very quickly. The structural adjustment, right, that, that, that needs to take mm-hmm. place, the retooling, you know, the jobs of the future. People are very, you know, concerned. Am I going to be able to survive in the future, should I just go find the skills? Or am I going to be a coder? What What do I need to be? Right, and this is the biggest concern with you know five or all the way up to six seven mm-hmm. as we start to get you know further yeah. along this digital you know, journey. Omar, you asked a very good question. What I, I in my book I talk about knowing doing again. What you just what you just express many of the CEOs CHRO business leader, they know. They know. Knowing, doing, they knowing about it and doing something about it is different. So what you just mentioned is a dilemma that many organizations face before the pandemic. The, the, the blessing, okay, one of the blessings of the pandemic, I see it accelerate the digital transformation. We work from home and we're looking at people not to make, you know, in the first three, six months, drastic adjustment. Leveraging on technology, Zoom become adverb. You know, Zoom is now looking at how uh, video. Co- I've been doing that video conferencing since. In, to be honest, uh, Skype. I mean, we're talking about the early two thousand, and especially during the during the September eleven. You see how travel disrupted people. It's not new, but the the, the pandemic has created that need for people to reassess what do we need to do to get ourselves ready for further, much more disruption down the road. So the challenge is now to, uh, knowing it is good. Yeah, we know we rely self-awareness, self-realization. Question is, what are you going to do about it? So what you just mentioned about, you know, to reskill, upskill uh, your the leaders and all the way from your uh, ground stuff, from, you know, the operational stuff right up to the board level, we need to reskill, upskill a new competency to help them to be prepared. And this is what is lacking and this is what has been missing when we talk about digital transformation. The industry 4.0 been around for a long time. If you look at the what makes, you know, in, in Germany, as you know, in the German use the word industry 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution been around since the early 2000s. But it was Klaus Schwab 
the the the, the chairman of uh, World Economic Forum who wrote the book of Fourth Industrial Revolution, who uh, seems to you know a strong proponent of the of that uh, you know uh, disruption of technology into business into government institution, uh, and people begin to start to be aware of it. The question is, we need to do now, and it involved the government, it involved the businesses, it involved the union, it involved the other stakeholders in the whole ecosystem, the non- everyone, everyone has to come together. So every everyone yeah. has to be involved. Is, is, so this is not just a one fix, this is exactly. a full and now effort. Exactly, now is the time, because we don't do now, we are waiting for the post-pandemic. We need to ready now as part of the preparation, uh, Harry, Omar. Now's the time to take stock and do it now. It's not too late. Now to prepare for the new normal in the world of sh- uh, changing world of work or the future of work in the next five to ten years. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's a great suggestion. I was also going to ask you, can you talk to us about the two books that you wrote and um, maybe a brief yeah, on, yeah. give us a little, you know, we can find it. It's just a little bit of a teaser. Yeah. So uh, the first book is Transforming the Next it. Generation of Leaders for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Basically, it, uh, you know, both books are found in Amazon. It's very old, uh, you know, in Barnes and Noble and you can Google it. You know, it's available in Business Expert Press, which is the New York based publisher. Uh, it's, you know, it's available worldwide. The first book, the 2019 book, uh, Transforming the Next Generation of Leaders for Industry 4.0, focuses on how organizations can prepare a pipeline of a, a sustainable pipeline of future leaders to be able to manage the challenges or navigate the challenges of the uh, 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 Industry 4.0 with highly uh, volatility, uncertainty, uh, complexity, and ambiguity. You know, the VUCA world. So how do you manage people to be ready for that world? And it's about the competencies and looking at preparing the systems, the structures, and helping leaders to understand the best practices approach. So that is more for for leadership, preparing the leaders, you know, the system processes for Industry 4.0. Got it. The latest book, which is called The Leadership in Disruptive Times, uh, was released at the end of July 2020. Uh, when I started writing that book was after the 2019 book, the earlier book, and uh, the publisher told me, look, hey, why don't you look at the disruption caused by the digital transformation? Uh, what are some of the challenges? What are leaders, are, what are organizations facing? So I was writing since July, August 2019. So when it come to January 26, the publisher contacted me in New York, says, look, hey, prof, there's something happening here in New York, as you probably know about this new virus, the the the, the end COVID. Those before we talk about COVID, the old name is, you know, SARS-like virus, end COVID 2019. So, Prof, can you look at it and then give us some advice? What do you think? So, I contacted my friends in in, in China and Hong Kong, and I got friend doctors from when I was doing SARS research. So they told me, yeah, this looks like you know when for for Chinese government to close Wuhan. A, a place of 60 over a million and to close I mean literally block that is serious and there's a rem- immediately repercussion on the global supply chain the Wuhan is where we look at the heart of the manufacturing uh, center of the world you look at many of the parts everywhere is within the Wuhan uh, uh, province so what I did was I, I, I started doing some research and I found that 
Yes, this is going to be, and this is before the lockdown. This is before Italy, before, we won't forget about US is much later, but before, you know, um, uh, other countries like Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, and right. the others. So come to March, I realized one thing, wow, this is serious. So uh, what I did now, I extend the second book, I extend the research from a disruption caused by digital transformation to look at disruption caused by unforeseen event or at the time, you know, unforeseen because of pandemic. It can be other events, could be climate change, could be, you know, and, and, and I think the climate change is going to be a big disruptor, and believe me. So, but but for now, as actually, as actually even yeah, trade yeah, disputes, you, right? you know, you look at the Chinese, actually, yeah. if uh, when I was doing this research, I was reflecting on the Brexit. No one would have thought that the Great Britain is going to be out of the European Union. That is actually a black swan yeah. event. Yeah. No yeah. one would thought yeah. a person like Donald Trump would be elected the 45th president of the United States. And everybody, even myself, I bet on Hillary. And, I, and she was in Singapore. I met her. She was at the time the U.S. Secretary of State. I was a guest uh, and I was the chairman of the American Chamber the Human Capital Committee. So we had a chance to interact. She was That was the last year as the Secretary of State before she announced a nomination. So I, she was in Singapore, farewell tour. And I bet I said this is the lady, and not because of anything else. I look at you know the American is right is the right time. Right time we had a black president, uh, American uh, African American president. We are ready for a female president, and I was so convinced until the night on the fourth of November, and I was I was watching. I was so convinced when I see the. Announcement that there's no fireworks, and I know then you know, and I see you know the 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 sudden silence from Hillary came. I go, gosh, I think this is going to be a moment. This is going to be real disruption. We're going to see when Donald Trump is elected. And true enough, and I say when Donald Trump is elected, we're going to see interesting. And then it's a disruption at the global level. And we look at how the US yeah, that's that's one that's one way that the political side of things can really disrupt business as well as a variety of things, right. right? Like the health crisis, you name it. You know, these yeah. they're going to so, keep coming, as you mentioned. Yeah. Right? So let me just end up. The, end the, so the second book will focus on uh, digital disruption, digital technology. Then it I I include two chap three chapter chapter two and three is on the pandemic. The, the disruption caused by pandemic. And chapter 10 is about the new normal post-pandemic. The rare chapter 1, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 is all about digital transformation. How do you lead a team? How do you prepare your team? How do you prepare future leaders? The, the, the chapter 6 is about the culture. How do you put the, the, the culture that is ready to take on the yeah, framework, the framework of the disruption culture. That's Chapter six is more important, but how do we prepare leaders, what I call the disruptive digital leaders of the future? That is where the framework that the six competency, Harry, uh, that you talk about, that we, we develop. And one of the competencies is very clear, mm -hmm. is what we call the disruptive mental agility. And the rest are all agility, resource agility, the uh, uh, people agility, the uh, innovation agility, and all is about agility driven. How do you, and the change is so immense. You look at what is happening with the industry 4.0, and, and, and people realize that now. And the good news, as I said, the, the, the blessing, as I said, of the pandemic, people acknowledge they have been putting on hold the digital transformation too long. And in my book, I talk about examples why we need to do that and how. It's not only what and the how. 
the framework, if you look at the review, the endorsement by Worldwide, the book talk about the toolkit, practices, framework, it's a how to do. It's a, it's basically you take the book, you can give it to CHRO, you give it to the CTO, you give it to the CIO, they, they, they can, uh, they know the, te- it's not about technical, they know the technical stuff, but this is about the how to do it, the people side of it, how do you prepare, how do you create the culture, how do you create the, 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 the environment that thrives with agility, the change, embrace change. It's about accepting the fact that we have to change the way we work. We have to change the way we lead people. We have to change the way we manage our customers. And digital transformation is three things. Very clearly, it's about customer centricity. It's all about a customer and it's not the, number two, it's not the responsibility of the CIO or the IT or, or, or the technology department. It's the responsibility of every single one of the leaders. Everyone is involved. And third, digital transformation is about creating value, what it means for the stakeholders. So that is the mindset we need to change about when you talk about digital transformation. Hey, it's not, no, it's not my problem. It's not, I'm not concerned. I'm only doing operation. I'm doing stuff. Let's CEO figure yeah. it out. It's, it's, it's everybody. Yeah. No, everybody no, no, needs to come with, together. You know, first, yeah. if you look at the trend, there was a very beautiful article by MIT, you know, uh, Sloan School of Management. There's an article talk about, you know, the, the back, you're talking about the due transformation, the, the initial of the responsibility, we always talk about the CIO, yeah? Initially, you know? And then you shift to, uh, you know, the, the CMO. Because, uh, the, you know, the chief marketing officer, oh, they are the one when they talk about customer. Hey, how do we transform? If you look at Starbucks, as I, in my book, I talk about Starbucks, the digital flywheel, how, how it should, you know, ensure yeah. the, the Starbucks is actually a customer-driven uh, organization. It's not, a, it's not a digital-driven It's a customer-driven, but using technology to drive. And then if you look at, and then after the CMO, then you came the CDO, chief Dig- uh, data officer, you know, then you have the chief digital officer. But today, and then, yeah. and, well, I'm not sure the possible, but I think it's about misconception about, you know, they're trying to figure out who actually, correct, who owes the accountability. Who's the right person? And the accountability, Hari Omar, lies with the CEO. Yeah. Because you are driving the organization. You should be accountable. Now, the actually implementing it, of course, carrying out can be whether the CDO or whoever it may be, doesn't matter, but they have to work together. They put aside the power play, put aside the political. The question is, you need to move. And this is a good example of DBS Bank again. Uh, and, and Microsoft, in my book, in chapter 7, I talk about uh, Satya Nadella. I, I, I adore him. Uh, I want to interview him. Uh, I, I, I did this, you know, I read this book called Hit Refresh, uh, you know, Fantastic. And my son, my elder son was uh, a manager with LinkedIn. Now he's moved to Zoom. Uh, but he had a chance to, you know, to, to, to interact with the senior leadership of Microsoft and, Re- and, and also with Sayan uh, uh, Nandela through video. And he interacted with the, you know, during the town hall and so forth. And as you know, LinkedIn is, uh, is part of Microsoft. Right? And what the fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. I, I heard of Satya. I read his book. I I I I, admire, I follow him, but he's the best CEO ever for Microsoft. He has transformed Microsoft. The third CEO. I'm not saying Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a different 
you know, is a founding CEO, is different set of uh, different different leader compared to Steve Ballmer. And uh, you look at Sayan Adela, is a leader that we all can learn. How empathy, how you use the disruptive competency, what I call the empathetic listening, empathy to transform. And the digital transformation of Microsoft today is, yeah, it's his success. His it's success. He did it. Yeah. And he personally took charge. Yeah. That is what the role of that's a great great example because mm. the actual st styles of leadership mm. is very different between Steve Ballmer, you know, Bill yeah. Gates, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's very yeah, Bill Gates is a technology, even, you know, he's a, he's a innovative, you know, he's a truly, um, you know, he is a thinker. And you have uh, Steve Ballmer who jump around the stage, you know, jumping around, he's more a business. Uh, his energy, I know, his energy. All of the important, energy. all three combined. Steve Ballmer is a you know more business, more business commercial guy, and you have, you have yeah, exactly. And but here you have the third Sherman, CEO, right? Sajjan Nadella, and but he's a insider. He's been around for a long time, Microsoft. He understands. But the way he articulate, I I I've not met him. I wanted to meet him because he was supposed to be in Singapore in March, but the pandemic, he was uh, he was in Australia in January. He was supposed to come over, but he did not. He did not make it. But I want to meet him and I admire him for one reason. This is, he listened very well. Of course, you must understand his family, uh, the, the personal circumstances of Saya Nadella. The tragedy that he faced with his son Zane, you know, his daughter, uh, you know, the learning disability. And that really changed him as a person and as a leader, more empathetic with a heart. This is where a leader needs to remember People will remember you. You need to lead your heart. Be an authentic leader. Be able to demonstrate that you care for people. Mm -hmm. You need to change your style. Yes, situation leadership sometimes need to be tough to some people. The situation, like for example, the pandemic requires you to take drastic action, tough action, decision. But to do that, you need to have people behind you. So you need to be able to bring people behind you during good times and people trust. So what is lacking in many organizations is the trust-based partnership between the CEO or the senior leadership and the people. So mm -hmm. empathy, empathy, authenticity is so important in the industry 4.0 because you need to, so much change is happening and you need people to be rally behind you, to work with you, not only the C-suite, I'm talking about all levels, so people trust you and we are willing to sacrifice because we know that you have the, our interest at heart. Therefore, we will go along with you. If you tell us that we need to cut, we need to forego a lot of things, we know you will bring us back to where we were and we will be with you. That is what is missing. Whether big organizations, big MNCs, small, that's missing. The trust-based yeah. partnership. Well, trust is the foundation of any great, successful policy. organization. You, know, you have a great organization. Absolutely. It, yeah. That's right. We talk about used, blockchain. It's the trust. It comes back to blockchain. Exactly. Believe that? So I always say people, trust, right? and I made a remark recently to in a grad school uh, you know, presenter, I said, trust is the digital currency of the future. So many people don't understand what I'm saying. So you just hit, the, you know, you know, hit uh, Omar, you talk about, yeah, blockchain. That's exactly what it is. It's uh, because of the way. Exactly, trust, and the way the structure, trust, yeah. the ledger, I mean, the, the structure of the, you know, the blockchain, the, the way is able to uh, secure form 
of transaction and I think that's where so much and I'm so enthusiastic about the potential about the blockchain but I'm sorry to say this everyone I almost everyone I spoke to whether government private the uh, business leader the first thing they tell prof blockchain oh my god are you talking about bitcoin no 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 you know, all the other way around, oh, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, I think blockchain, I think Bitcoin, we must invest. No, look at the money, we want to make money. You know, that is all they think about. I said, my God, Bitcoin is one of the 5,000 of the cryptocurrency which leverage on bit, uh, on the blockchain technology. Right. The blockchain has been used right now technology. successfully in the supply chain, logistics. You look how he has transformed the logistics. Look at education. Look at the blockchain in healthcare. Look at how the blockchain can transform public service. Secured way of offering services in the public service, in the government. So I'm very enthusiastic. I'm very enthusiastic. I believe there's huge potential. But we need to understand and disrupt our mindset that block uh, that blockchain is beyond simply bitcoin beyond simply cryptocurrency there are so much opportunity so much uh, potential that we can yeah you know your passion yeah. for both leadership and the disruptive technology yeah. just comes yeah, easy, through right so well and um, you know our listeners are in the industry 4.0 digital transformation leadership that is uh, that is our listener base um, what is you know do you want to share your uh, a good way to contact you whether you know social media or emails uh, if they have any questions if they want to reach out to you for anything uh, because of course, I wanted to, I want to talk to you for another hour. Oh, yeah, we have to, yeah. you know, we <laughs> it has been a good session. It's been a really good session. I Let me tell you, we're gonna have to come. I know my you guys. I love this part because two. it's very free flow. I enjoy. It's a dialogue. I've done many interviews, you know, TV, and I've done many, uh, uh, you know, virtual interviews, and in sometimes very structured in news, you know, newscast. The way, the way they, I think what I like about the way you guys is very. Informal. So that's how I talk to my my grad students, to CEOs, uh, participants. So we can arrange another session with more focus about an area that you look at, and and, and I think we can talk about manufacturing or talking about a specific industry. Okay. That's fine. But I think what I think what I like about you guys, uh, you know, you covered quite a broad area, and I think it's food for thought for your listener. You know, I, I'm, you ask me how am I uh, I'm contactable by LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, many other, but I, I use LinkedIn a fair bit. Uh, so you, you can find me, uh, my LinkedIn handle, I mean, is Bawani. So you can find you know, easy. But what I think is important, uh, if I were to leave one thing with everyone, is that please remember this, you know. Uh, one thing is humility. Acknowledge that you do not have the answer. I do not have all the answers. I mentioned about reverse mentoring, where I'm learning from a younger gen, a, a, a Gen Y uh, technology, someone who's he's a grad from MIT, so he's helping me, young grad, you know, he's helping me looking at all the late, and I was amazed, and they're so this younger Gen Y and Gen Z, which the digital natives, which those are born between 1995 to 2010, that group, the Gen Z, this group, phenomenal. Gen Y, they are very familiar with the digital technology because, you know, they are born in during the internet era, you know. But, no, the digital, no, no, the digital yeah, natives yeah. are, 
Yeah, Gen Z's, because they are so used to the tablet, to to the technology. They let me tell you a story before the end. If you can, I tell you a very interesting joke. Two two years ago, I'll tell you something very interesting. I'm going to tell you something. You guys, you you guys are too young. I'm not sure. I'm just joking. But two years ago, I was invited to speak to uh, in Singapore. No, no, three years. Twenty twenty-seven, twenty-seventeen. I was invited to speak to a university student. So. I brought the, the, the topics about, you know, uh, the path to uh, the future, the, the, the digital revolution. So I brought these um, two things I brought. One is I brought a, a floppy disk, the five and quarter. You, you know what I'm talking about? You're very young, Omar. Maybe Harry will. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember the floppy. I brought that. I so I was it was very hot in there. In the thing, so I did. I was fanning myself. So, so this is the, my time. The digital is how I store my CV. This is why I store is five one k kb. Bro, why are you talking five one k? Not even one picture. I can even no. This is how I store, and we use uh, an application like Word, Word Perfect. I don't even know Word Perfect before. Yeah, Novel, you know. Uh, Lotus one two three, Lotus one two three, and all that. So, so I was like, this is how. What the hell is that, bro? And then I took out the, you know, I took out the three and half, three and one half, you know, the small the A drive, you know, the A drive floppy, uh, much more sturdier, much more yeah, yeah, yeah. harder, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is another version. Oh yeah, that one I think I seen in the museum. They saying, yeah. but that, but the mind, the floppy, I was like, so this is how you got data. Then I told them, then I told them, okay, then I on the sound. So I said, uh, on the sound from the from from YouTube, I, I Google it. I said, look. What is it? It's not like UFO. What, what are you showing us? Why, why are you playing this sound? I said, that's how I access my internet. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's how my dial-up internet. So I need to dial-up, you know, 14.4, 28.8, 33, you know, 0.3. What? Yeah, and it takes us a long time to download one picture to send. And in those days, you are sending emails. Good enough, you know, sending emails. So, and I used Chameleon, you know, I was telling you about Netscape Navigator and all that. Yeah. Steve Case, my idol at that time, Steve Case, you know. Uh, Mark Anderson, I don't know if you know all these names, Mark Anderson. Do you know this name? Are you familiar? Go and Google, Mark Anderson is the founder no, of no, uh, no, Netscape, no. the guy who designed, very brilliant guy. Go and Google him and then uh, Steve Case was CEO. Oh, yeah. uh, they took him out, I think. No Microsoft one who could believe that you have an organization that AOL can acquire Times Warner, you know, Times you know, time one, and that's very interesting. Anyway, so just to end this, so I, 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 I played that sound. They were telling me, "Oh my God!" I said, "Yeah." I said, "I have to wait some time, and I have to wait and wait." And you got drop line, you know, and use a dial-up, use a landline. So you see, you guys are born. I was telling these Gen Y uh, students, you guys are lucky. You're born in the era of the digital. You're experiencing, and you wake up, and you uh, you only know the internet is there when the internet is uh, disrupted, and you say, "Oh my God, the whole world is collapsed." Oh my God, my whole world. I cannot check my I cannot check my Twitter. I cannot check my Facebook. Oh my God, I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen. You know, and they got all like my 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 my, cut, my younger niece and nephew, my my son, the younger they they all get so worked up. I said during my time we had all this thing, but we still survive. Life continue, of course, but we need to adapt. We need to adjust. So my story, the end of the thing that I want to end, you know, by saying this, uh, what lesson can we learn? So I think my advice to everyone, including myself, I always remind that uh, humility, 
that we do not have all the answers. Number one, that you must acknowledge that there are others who can teach you. That's why the reverse mentoring. Second is about learning agility. Learn, unlearn, relearn. And this is where Alvin Toffler, you know, talk about, you know, uh, when you wrote the book, uh, The Future Future Way of I can't the title, but, but Alvin Toffler is a thinker, futurist. And I think what we need to do today is to unlearn, unpack, unpack what you've learned in grad school, you know, because a lot of things have changed. We need to adapt and learn. And lastly, lastly, most important, after you've done the first two, you, you open up your mind, humble enough to learn. Uh, then that's where, uh, you know, your, 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 your agility mindset, yeah? Then you uh, learn, learning agility, more, learn new things. And the third one, the most important for everyone, bring business leaders, organizational leaders, non-profit, SME, whether big, large, government, is the knowing doing gap. So now that we know, we have learned, we disrupt our mindset, the question is, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to do it? The doing gap implementation. And to do that, you cannot do it alone. The world today is very different. You need to acknowledge there are people around you who can help you, who can support you. You may be the best in what you do, but you, all of us has blind spot. All of us have blind spot. We need to ignore, even like Bill Gates, Eric Schmidt, if you Google on YouTube, you find they talk about coaching. And I always tell my CEO coach, some of the very, I've coached some, you can find the names on my website. They give me permission. I publish them, the testimony from them. Some are top world-class CEOs. And they, when I first met them, they told me, you know, why do I need coaching, prof? I'm very, you know, and the board will tell me, you know, can you come in and help this guy? We, he has a lot of value. We, we want him. We want him. He has so much, you know, testing on, so much technical capability, but the people skills. He, he really rubbed people in the wrong way, you know, about social, emotional intelligence. Can you help him? So I tell this, I, I always tell these people, no, you're good at what you, you are. It's good. But you need to acknowledge that you have blind spots. Just like me, you all have dark, what do you call it, uh, you know, uh, the dark side. I have my dark side. I have my derailers. But I have two senior mentors who helped me to coach me who, who have gone through very senior ceos who in the 80s my point is we have to accept that we are all students for life we mm. cannot stop learning and i believe i will stop learning the day i die and this is my philosophy i i i communicated to my sons to my nieces my nephew to my students to my my, my staff to everyone learn learning is for life the day you stop learning is the day you're dead. And this is where we need to accept the three things. Humility, learn, unlearn, relearn, learning agility. And fourth is knowing, doing, how do we close it? How do we execute? How do we build a ecosystem? How in chapter, uh, chapter nine of the book, I talk about the team. How do you bring about team? How do you bring them together to execute your digital transformation strategy? You can't do it alone. You can be have the best degree, get the best team from Harvard, Stanford, MIT, the best in the world. But you need a whole organization. The digital transformation today is about getting everyone on board and everyone understand where is the digital vision? Where are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to accomplish to bring the organization to the future? And the most important part of the digital vision is the customer. Never, never, never lose sight. And one quote, 
and this yeah. is where in the seventies when I was in the U, in the eighties, in the eighties I learned something uh, when I was studying about marketing. There was this tool and this uh, it's a saying in marketing. They said that uh, in supermarket is a big sign. I forgot where which the name, but you can Google it. A big sign in in the US supermarket. This the CEO put there. Rule number one: the customer is always right. Rule number two: if the if the if the customer is wrong, remember rule number one. So, so, so the customer is the cornerstone of digital transformation. Yeah. Never forget that. So this is my advice. As I said, can come and engage me on all the social media. Go to my website. A lot of free articles. Uh, what I've done, uh, the book is, as I said, is, is available. Is you know, is sold by the publisher. I don't make any money. I, I, a lot of things I give back to the community. But what is important, I have got permission to extract every quarter chapter of the book into articles and is available on my website. You can download free. It's published in the US by hr.com. So I got permission. So you can, if those who cannot afford the book, like young students, sometimes they cannot afford, but I wish I can give, like, you know, I wish I can give to like what I did to you all, the license. I wish I could give to everyone. And this I believe, personally, because this is a commercial, you know, the publisher is a, is a, yeah. Restrictions yeah, exactly. on it. But I have to say your website, has a lot of videos yeah, it's got and, good, and good, articles good material that people as well, can check yeah. out. I want to say, guys, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And I want to say I would love to be on again in the future if you think there's a topic. You know, we can have more specific discussion. But this topic, what you know, the way you, I enjoyed this. I really thank you for this opportunity to share. We yeah, enjoyed it, it as well. And I have yeah. to say, I've learned a lot on yeah, this session. This is a great session. And so I was taking yeah, some notes. Too. So fantastic, right? I mean, what were you saying, Omar? Yeah, no, no. I was saying, yeah, I'm like, likewise as well. I got quite a few notes here. And I think our audience is really going to benefit from hearing some of the nuggets that were pulled out today. So I really appreciate that. And uh, um, I guess... Hari and Omar, we're thank signing you. off, and thank you again for joining us on uh, a spotlight on Digital Twin Good podcast. And God bless Thanks, all guys. of you. Take care. All the best. Bye. Thank you.